This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you, as almost always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, just, I don't even know I'm running out of superlatives because he's so great and legendary and immortal and just straight astounding co-host, Andy Bailey. We... We have a lot of stuff to catch up on. I feel like it's been a zillion years since we podcasted because we were basically podcasting. It was like once every other day for a little bit. But before we get started, we're going to wrap up our future NBA, our future power rankings for NBA lottery teams or ranking the futures of NBA lottery teams. We have some news to get to. Going to deliver some playoff impressions really quick. Just want to remind, ask. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Implore, plead, beg everybody to continue going over to iTunes. Leave us a rating, subscribe to us, leave us a review too. We we again we exchange those in our hardwood knocks text text message threads with screenshots, and you can see and or you can just imagine Andy and I getting all giggly about all the nice and not so nice things people have to say about us. So contribute to that. And again, we love seeing those ratings go up. We are still trying to chase Stephen Curry's mark of. 402 made three-pointers so let's help us get there you can still get 15% off at the NBA math shop that's nbamath.com slash shop promo code Benno B-E-N-O should be easy to remember because we talk to him talk about him at the end of every (laughs) single podcast that Andy is on but now we get down to brass tacks and the question everyone is always dying to hear the answer to Andy how is your super important law school paper going right now it's good, man. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, the last academic paper of my life. Finally. Oh my god! Yeah, um, I don't. I don't anticipate going back to school for any reason. So it should be the last one. It's about a. It's an independent study, so I could pick whatever I want as my topic, and my supervisor's the property law guy at the uh, school. So I'm doing it on like financing of professional sports stadiums. That actually Which seems an... mildly interesting, but also <laughs> tedious at the same time. It's that's a perfect uh, description. You're you're ready for law school, Dan. Mildly interesting and tedious is a great way to describe the work I've been doing today. <laughs> I would definitely flunk out of law school. Major kudos to you for not uh, only you, making it fine. through, but also tweeting through law school. <laughs> Tweet through it. 
through law school. Yeah, tweet through it. That's that's my advice for any prospective law students. Um, so I guess we should start with I I feel like we have so much to tackle. Um, one of the news updates we have is surprise, surprise, Kawhi Leonard and the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, that whole situation just remains super weird. He was officially ruled out or unofficially, unof- unofficially, unofficially, officially, however you want to put it, ruled out for the playoffs. They're down 2-0 to to the Warriors. Greg Popovich, who also, uh, we should say, just lost his wife, Erin, of four decades. Uh, so our prayers and thoughts and just general feel-goods and vibes go out to him and, and his family during this tough time. But Greg Popovich has always put it also put an emphasis on Kawhi and his group in interviews. There's just been some veiled stuff thrown his way from Manu Ginobili, not so veiled stuff in the past from Tony Parker. People are starting to call him soft and question his loyalty to the Spurs. It seems like San Antonio is ready to clear him, but his doctors aren't ready to clear him. He's been in New York recovering rather than with the team. Uh, it's all just so very weird what do you think of a lot more people? And I've noticed this from going on radio interviews, from reading these rumors, just everything. So many more people expect for him not to be in a Spurs uniform next season. And I'm wondering where I've always kind of tilted toward the, they worked it out with LaMarcus Aldridge. This whole thing just needs to need to sit down between pop and Kwai or Kwai and ownership or whoever, and they'll hash it out. But I'm wondering if you've kind of shifted from, from that view at all. Did I say he would leave last time? I honestly don't even remember. We've talked about this, I think, on at least 70% of our podcasts. (laughs) It changes so often. Um, I think the last time we talked about it, which was probably the last episode, if not that, the one before, um, it's reached a point where I think it's going to be really hard to repair. I'm pretty sure I said the same thing last time, and and I feel like every new, new news item that comes out is like, just sort of reinforces that belief. Um, I mean, they worked things out with LaMarcus Aldridge, but that never reached the sort of fever pitch that, that this one seems to be reaching. And and now <laughs> Popovich has even used LaMarcus Aldridge as, as almost like a shot to Kawhi oh, yeah. Leonard. That post-game press conference the other night about how he's always there for his teammates and – he, he didn't have to say Kawhi Leonard's name. I mean, a lot of people pointed out to me that um, they didn't think it was fair that I, I tweeted something about it. But to me, it was very clearly sort of a, another jab at Kawhi Leonard. And I don't I don't blame any of the guys with the Spurs for the things that they're saying. Um, I don't I don't think anybody has great knowledge of this situation. So I also can't really blame Kawhi Leonard if he's you know a lot of people have brought up the Isaiah Thomas situation from last year, and I think that's fair. Um, none of these guys want to cost themselves. I mean, how much money did Isaiah Thomas cost himself by playing through the playoffs on that hip? I mean, that's a good point. Almost a hundred million dollars. I mean, it's, it's just, I, I don't blame him. I can't really blame the Spurs just cause I don't know enough, but I think the general takeaway after all this rambling is I, it's just really hard to see a resolution where Kawhi is still on the Spurs. I still don't – I can't see him being traded because what are you going to get for him in a contract year when he appeared in nine games and wouldn't return for you? What is your leverage there? What are teams going to read into about his health situation? And I'm not saying that they would – they're just going to relent and give him that super-duper max extension. I don't think they should if they don't – I've heard that what he's dealing with could be like this degenerative disease or read that. 
And yeah, I read that somewhere too. And that's, you know, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, no, that's concerning. And so there are just so many layers to it. It will be interesting to see if he's not traded by the draft. And then we're just going to assume that he doesn't get that designated player extension. Once the books reset, he has to requalify for that. Is he going to take it as this affront that the Spurs didn't offer him the extension and then he's just going to turn around and request a trade? It seems like these two sides really just need to talk because based on what the players are saying, it just doesn't seem like they're in the know or they're actively maybe almost being told that, hey, he's just not here and doesn't want to play. He's good to go, which would be just so weird for the Spurs to say or communicate to their players I just it someone needs to say something, and it would be nice if Kawhi Leonard had any sort of communication skills whatsoever with the media. <laughs> I know some people don't view it as a player's responsibility to come and speak out. We're the ones who are gonna just ingest these rumors. I get that perspective. At the same time, it's gotten to a point where he almost comes off as not looking all that well in this. And I'm not calling him soft. I hate the people that say play through injury. Those people are dumbasses. But it, why not come out and say something? Because it can't hurt at this point. It can only help with all these rumors circling. And the Spurs, just based off what they've done without him, they're not coming off as petty throughout all this, at least not publicly. You hear the players say what they're saying. You hear Popovich, Laud, Lamarcus Aldridge. It's, it, it almost makes you side with them. And I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm impartial here. I don't really have a side. I don't know what to believe. I'm just like you. But I do feel like Kawhi Leonard should say something release a statement something anything could he even just be on the bench or in the stands for a game is this relationship that far gone that's what i was going to say next i would say either say something or just be with your team um bill simmons has joked about this a lot on his podcast the last couple weeks it's not like new york doesn't have some sort of physical therapy machine there that that he can't get somewhere else um certainly not in in california where they were i mean there's these guys are all multi multimillionaires. They have access to whatever exercise and, and therapy equipment they need. They can fly physical therapists around the country with them. I mean, the team would be willing to do that even. He wouldn't even have to pay for it. Um, that, to me, is probably the strangest part from Kawhi's perspective. If, if everything was okay relationship-wise between him and the team, he would be there. there there's, I don't really think there's another logical explanation for it. Yeah, I agree with you there. I still think so. You final prediction is Kawhi Leonard in the Spurs uniform to start next year. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump out on what seems like a ledge now and say yes, which is crazy that it feels that way. Yeah, I'm gonna go no, and it, yeah, it is crazy that that's starting to feel more of a more like a comfortable answer that he's he's My, not gonna be there. It's just yeah. it's just so many hurdles to overcome to to make that relationship seem normal again. Yes, my hot take is that Kawhi Leonard, two years removed from his second Defensive Player of the Year award, is going to still be a spur. That's crazy to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we, we can say with confidence the Celtics will no longer be including Jalen Brown in any trade proposals, assuming they were going to ever. Everyone's deemed him basically the next Jimmy Butler or, or Kawhi Leonard, someone at, like the, who the Heat hoped Justice Winslow would become and maybe still do hope that, who Stanley Johnson was supposed to be for Detroit and just isn't going to get there. After that performance he had against the Bucks in he, Game Two, Jalen Brown is—he's reached Terry Rozier status of off limits. <laughs> um, I was just thinking, right as you like introduced this topic, remember the for the longest time the one thing that you could 
you could pretty safely criticize about Danny Ainge was draft choices. Uh, he has just nailed the last two number three picks. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum look like they're going to be fixtures for a long time. And, and I know you were being tongue-in-cheek when you, you brought up like untouchable like Terry Rozier, but you're, you're absolutely right. He really is like playing himself into <laughs> more and more solid status with that team. I've, I've been – he's so much better than I thought he would be at this point. I, I wasn't willing to say like he can't develop into a good player. I was a little skeptical of the pick at the time it was made. Um, but he's already blown my expectations out of the water. Yeah, he and in game one, he just showcased that additional layer of playmaking too, and that's what might make you. That seems the biggest barrier standing between him and someone like Jimmy Butler or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or just that type player. I'm not saying he'll be as good or better than them, but you need that playmaking aspect, and it always seemed like Jason Tatum would get there before him, but you see him drop four assists just looking so comfortable off the dribble, and you can kind of see this clear path to him being an above-board playmaker. And this experience, I guess we're going to get into playoff talk. There were two news items I have jotted down that we'll have to blow through afterwards. But the Bucks celtics series, I fall short of saying that Kyrie Irving's absence, and I guess you could even say Gordon Hayward's absence, are blessings in disguise. But just looking at what Jalen Brown specifically has done in this series, is it helping in the sense it's forcing him and maybe even Jason Tatum to just develop a little bit more quickly as these guys who can score with the ball in their hands, but also now be used to this role where they play off of Kyrie Irving or play off of two all-stars. It certainly looks that way to some extent with Brown. Yeah, I totally think it helps. Um, You know, I'm, I'm generally all in on playing rookies, you know, as many minutes as you can in that first year. And that usually doesn't translate to being able to do it in the playoffs, but it, it really was just sort of like the cards fell and obviously Boston would have preferred for Hayward not to break his leg and for Kyrie to not have to have another knee surgery. Um, but that is certainly a silver lining that they can look at. And they're going to be super interesting next year. I I can't remember Brad Stevens' exact quote about positionless basketball, but I think it was last summer. Um, and they, they have basically doubled and tripled down on trying to get as many like-size wings and they're, they're going to play Brown, Tatum, and Hayward together at the same time a lot next year, uh, I think. And they can switch two through four very easily uh, with, with Al Horford sort of backing that up. I think they'll be able to cover up pretty much any problem Kyrie has defensively. They, they could be very, very scary next season. It, I am interested to see how Gordon Hayward comes back from his, his injury, though. That could maybe limit the amount of switching he's the able only, to do. The only thing is, I guess he dislocated his ankle too, right? Because yeah. usually, a, usually a broken bone is like, if you're gonna get injured and be out for a while, that's like the one to get because it heals the cleanest generally. But I don't, I don't know as much about a dislocated ankle. I wonder if he will have some lingering issues there. The nice thing is, and and we can bring it back to what you said earlier, um, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum will be able to carry more of a load than they would have, you know, had they not had this season. So maybe they can sort of ease Hayward back in next season it will you're right it will be interesting to see sort of how he looks when he first comes back why do the bucks suck (laughs) that was a beautiful segue um man they are a mess aren't they did you see jabari's quote today no i didn't see jabari's quote oh man i don't want to i want to get like the exact wording because this was wild um why they suck (laughs) i mean it's 
the easy thing to say, and I think we've been saying it all season, is I, there's there's certainly something up with the coaching. Um, there's no there's no question to me that Giannis Antetokounmpo is a top five player in the league right now. Um, gosh, I wish I could find the exact wording of this quote. Oh, here it is. Okay. This is so I'm I'm completely switching gears. Obviously, I was talking about Giannis, but I'm going to come back to Jabari. <laughs> yeah, that's this quite is the drop from <laughs> Stephen Watson, uh, W I S N underscore Watson on Twitter. He's he must cover the Bucks. Um, Jabari Parker was very animated talking about his frustration right now with limited minutes. He mentioned the only way to see the floor was to be on Coach's good side, and Coach's good side is in quotes. Um, oh man. When asked, yeah, when asked if he was on Prunty's good side, he smirked and said, "Quote: I don't think so." Well, if he could play any sort of defense, then maybe he would be. But yeah. the, the Bucks as a whole can't play defense. It's so. just—it's just funny that it's another layer to this mess. And maybe this one won't be a problem because either Prunty or Parker or both are going to be gone after this summer. Uh, there's no way both guys will be back. So it's, it's just interesting. They're—they're they're a mess right now. I thought they had a chance. I, I'm pretty sure I picked Boston to win that series, but I figured with Kyrie and Hayward out, they, it would at least be. We both went Boston in seven. I remember, and we thought we were reaching at that point, and now yeah, it's just. You just like, think that you know Giannis is so much better, and he's been great in these first two games. Him and Chris just, Middleton. There's nothing going on after those guys. It's, the, it's really, like I, I said on Twitter the other day, this is the most disappointing team in the league, and you've said that on the podcast, so I know you agree with me. Yeah, but Eric Bledsoe is better than what he's showing. I don't like the the Terry the Rozier stuff. Rozier, was just oh, that was shit. so weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was you're getting outplayed by Terry Rozier. That's bad that, look. Yeah, that's a terrible look. And he looks disinterested on defense. I don't, and I don't know if it has something to do with the coaching, not for Bledsoe specifically, but you have Jabari Parker who's disgruntled. It doesn't seem like this staff has ever really been good with communicating with people. You look at kind of what yeah. happened with Greg Monroe earlier. Hasn't John Henson kind of gone through like weird quirks with them? Uh, and the other thing is, like, is Jason Terry actually playing? Is Shabazz Muhammad about to become a postseason thing? One of the biggest stains on the Bucks too, is that they've played this year a regular season, per cleaning the glass, 232 possessions with Giannis at center, and they, they're getting destroyed by 8.5 points. Uh, their net rating is minus 8.5. They're giving up 116.2 points per 100 possessions. That should be your ultimate mismatch lineup. And it's not necessarily on Giannis. You just don't have guys on the perimeter who are staying in front of people. Your rotations are, are not good for the type of perimeter defense that you want to play. You, you're going to need sturdier, at least more consistent presences around the rim. And that's part of why Jabari Parker can't, necessarily close games because one his shooting was okay during the regular season but the Bucks' offensive rating in the 25 minutes he's played this series Andy 69.1 69.1 that's tough but in theory he's not going to help you switch he's going he's been getting beat off the dribble more when he finds himself against those guys and you can't use him at center or in a 4-5 combination with Giannis because he provides zero rim protection his restricted free agency is going to be fascinating there's certainly a talent or at least a balance issue here. And Matt Moore of Action Sports put this on Twitter the other night during Game 2. Who is the coach you would want in charge of this Milwaukee Bucks team to actually make the most of this talent? 
and I was almost at a loss. Of the available coaches, I want to say just Mike Buddenholzer, because it seems like him and Atlanta are kaput. Uh, of the real available yeah. coaches, it'd be interesting to see like David Fisdell there still for me. But I couldn't figure out a definitive answer because this team looks like such a gigantic underachiever that it's not even just the coaching anymore at this point. Yes, I don't want to see Jason Terry, you know, playing really at all in the playoffs. You turn to Shabazz Muhammad in game two as like this last ditch effort. Maybe you're going to talk yourself into continuing to play him, but it's, it goes so far beyond coaching. It's just not even funny. Yeah. They could also need some kind of a shakeup and the more, the more Jabari struggles, I, I wonder if he's going to be gettable for somebody this summer. The, the coaching name that I always think of, and maybe it's just because I watch the Jazz so much, is Igor Kokoshkov. And I, I don't know if he'll... if I could pronounce his name. Igor Kokoshkov. <laughs> hey, that was perfect. You got it. I'm never saying um, it again. <laughs> he was good as Slovenia's head coach at Eurobasket, and, and he has a ton of respect uh, among the players on Utah. And um, I'll be interested to see how much his name comes up this summer. Ettore Messina is going to be all over the place too. I would think if I was a coaching candidate and I had my pick of a couple jobs, um, wouldn't wouldn't Milwaukee be one of the most intriguing ones that's available right now? That or potentially I would the love Suns. to go coach Giannis. Yeah, the Suns would be interesting too. I, I think I would definitely prefer the Bucks to that situation though. Oh, for a hundred. I, I mean, you have a top five NBA star who's still going to be under yeah. contract for three years after this one. Of and is won. like... How old is he? Twenty-two. I think he's like fifteen. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's that's got to be a very desirable. Giannis is twenty-three, prospect. by the way, just in case we were caring about accuracy okay. for a change. Um, so yeah, that series has been super, super strange for sure. Kind of segueing since we're on the coaches, what we did miss since the last time we podcast, we were supposed to get to a quicker was Steve Clifford getting fired in oh, Charlotte. Yeah. They talked, and I thought this was smart. I don't think that's an appealing job at all because I have no idea. Do you want someone who is go? And the Mitch Kupchak hire didn't help me discern this at all. Do you want someone who's going to try to make the most out of the current roster, or are you guys actually starting over? It's hard for them to start over because Kemba Walker is an expiring contract. Maybe you can get a first-round pick or prospect and while getting rid of one of your crappy deals, that's probably the ceiling on an offer now at this point, just because he's headed for free agency. That's where the appeal would come from, I would guess, in kind of trying to get something new out of the same old product. They did, though, request to speak with Ettore Musina, which I think is great. I also, I, if I'm a team, and this is what, and that was going to be the second news item, maybe we'll combine them. The Knicks' coaching search is like extensive and aimless because uh, Mike Woodson, Mike Woodson, Mark Jackson, Kenny Smith, oh, Ken, man. Kenny Smith, David Blatt makes sense. David Fisdale makes sense. Jerry Stackhouse is my favorite candidate for them right now, but it's so Knicks. Why are you not just trying to pillage the Spurs assistant coaching staff? Becky Hammond, uh, James Borrego, Ime Udoka. Those are names that everyone I'm not going to pretend to be experts in them, but those are names that people have talked about as justifying for future head coaches. How are you not trying to look at one of them? And is Mike Buttonholzer that in love with Phoenix that he wouldn't be willing to talk about going to New York? As long as you don't have to give up real draft compensation for him, they shouldn't care about the money it takes to get him out of that. I think he has two years, Woj said, left on his contract with Phoenix. 
the, the Knicks' coaching search is terrible, and I would almost hate, I would rather see Messina end up or any of the Spurs' assistants end up in Phoenix, Milwaukee, and I'll say New York just because they still have Kristaps. I, I, why are you not contact? That's the. I thought that was a smart move by the Hornets, but I almost find myself rooting against them landing someone like that because I don't want to find you know any of the Spurs assistants that I want to see. Be I would love to see Becky Hammond be a, a head coach, by the way, and just break that barrier and see all the people just go out of their fucking minds uh, because I think that would be fantastic. But my whole point is I want to see someone I like in a situation where it's set up to succeed, and I don't think that that's Charlotte. What's the... What... What is the worst possible scenario for you as a Knicks fan? Which one of those names are you just going to be like, what is happening? This is going to surprise some people, and I have rankings coming out on this soon. I'm just, we're waiting to see if any other candidates develop. I, the worst case scenario would be Mark Jackson for me. I, you, you think that'll surprise people? Surprise people that it's the worst. I think when you hear Mike Woodson's name thrown in or Kenny Smith, who's never coached in the NBA, that there are going to be people yeah. who who would There's rather... a lot of competition given this this list of names. I'm like smiling ear to ear right now. I, just I can can't hear it in your voice. It, look, here's my <laughs> thing with Mark Jackson. I d- the offense in Golden State, it was okay while he was there, but it never ranked better than 10th in points scored per 100 possessions, yeah. which when you have if Stephen you can't Curry, get... yeah. Exactly. And yeah. his first two years there, they ranked 6th and 3rd respectively in long two frequency. So it wasn't their shot profile wasn't great for those first two years. Maybe it would have gone in the right direction, but you didn't favor all this ball movement. They peaked at tenth in assist rate under him. I it, everything they did offensively seemed predicated more on the individual talent than anything system based. And now that we know what the NBA is today, he just doesn't seem like the right coach tactically beyond that, because I know he did help with the Warriors defense, the Draymond green stuff. I'm always hesitant to criticize him for just because if David Lee never gets injured at the beginning of Kerr's first year, is Draymond green ever unleashed? You'd like to think so, but Joe, Joe Lacob after Jackson left, there are two sides to every story, of course, or three sides, uh, the Warriors, Mark Jackson's been the truth, but he's saying that there are a ton of people in the organization that didn't like him and you're inclined to believe him to some degree just because you got rid of him following not only a 51-win season, but while Stephen Curry was publicly endorsing him. I don't want any part of that in New York. That will be a disaster. Yeah. A lot of the high-profile names they're throwing out there will, I'm with you, they will be disastrous. Best. I don't know why you don't just take it. I, you, I'm totally with you. I, I was going to add more, but everything you said, I, I totally agree with. I hope they hire Stackhouse or Fisdale. I th- and the knocks against Fisdale are just amazing to me. That was clearly just the Grizzlies. I, they sided they with Marcus Gasol when, they, so when bad. they shouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look at what happened in that. Like his first year, Marcus Gasol starts shooting threes. The team's three-point attempt rate increases by almost 10 percentage points. Mike Cunley posts the highest usage rate of his career. He had an impact on a veteran squad that's tough to do. I'm not ready to throw in the towel on him. I'd even be interested with David Blatt just to see him get to run the offense that he never really got to run in Cleveland because LeBron was there. I'm a big fan of Stackhouse because of what he's done with Raptors 905. They've been good defensive teams. They've never played at a particularly fast pace, but he went on the low post last summer and talked a lot about just tailoring your offense based on personnel and how he likes the three ball. He's my pick for the Knicks right now if I had to pick a coach, but I'm, I'm still miffed as to why they're not one of the ones that are trying to you know, just rifle through Greg Popovich's coaching tree at this point. Mike Conley had his best season ever last season. 
by a bunch of different numbers. Career high PER, true shooting percentage, box plus minus. And they're all by like significant margins. Marc Gasol had a career high offensive box plus minus last season. Um, any knocks against Fizdale are, are very weird to me. Unless we forget that both you and I even started the year trumpeting the Grizzlies' depth. You remember how good that bench, yeah. that bench unit looked? And they were well, winning games without Well, it started so strong, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think he should very much be in in the conversation for a lot of different teams. He's He should still be at the top of a lot of teams' lists. Where would you put the uh, Hornets in that kind of team fracas of openings? Like... There's right now. There's How Orlando. Desirable they are. You mean? Yeah, it's, it has to. Is it the least desirable at this point? If we assume who Milwaukee, who do we have? Orlando, Milwaukee, New York, Phoenix, um, and Charlotte. That's it at the moment. It's. I guess it's between Orlando and Charlotte for the worst. Yeah, that's uh, at least in Charlotte. You might have the opportunity to coach Kemba. Yeah, I think you could make a case that that's that Charlotte's more appealing than Orlando. I agree. But, um, yeah, that's kind of a toss up for me. I wanted to ask you, um, about the Thunder Jazz series and your impressions of Donovan Mitchell never going to actualize his full potential because he's not a good <laughs> NBA player. I am amazed <laughs> at how many takes are out there like that. Is that not weird? What is, I don't, I didn't understand the basis for any of them. I don't. I did not anticipate any sort of Donovan Mitchell backlash. I guess. I guess the basis for most of the complaints that I've seen is that he shoots a lot. Um, Who else on the Jazz is going to shoot? I know that's. I mean that's that's the obvious answer. And I had a bunch of people in my mentions yesterday. They were like, "That's a false narrative." Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you see those the, Alec Burke stands are getting out of control? <laughs> seriously, uh, the the guy. Guy who was really coming after me, and it was—I actually had fun with him. I turned all of his responses into a thread. So I read uh, that was, and was thoroughly amused. He was a Mavericks fan, and he was like saying, "Well, he's not a Donovan Mitchell's not a real rookie because he's 21 and he's played two years in the NBA." And it's like next level like, Ben Simmons truther. <laughs> yeah, and he was—he was complaining about how he's a volume shooter. I was like, "Dennis Smith is your rookie," and and I like <laughs> that was just ridiculous. Um, uh, this has been one of the most volatile, like, I, it's beyond the rookie of the year debate, almost. I, I think that's the crux of it. It's like Ben Simmons versus Donovan Mitchell. But it's obviously expanded to even more than that, because there was, there was, Ben Simmons didn't even play last night. It was just like, <laughs> we have to find some way to delegitimize what Donovan Mitchell's doing. It's It's very weird. And I guess maybe it just comes with the territory when you get a lot of media attention. I mean, if you're the dude had 28 points and just went uh, obliterated OKC's big three in the fourth quarter. And here are yeah. two things that stand out to me is one. So the Jazz's offensive rating with most of their starters on the floor has not been good during the playoffs, but we're working with very small sample sizes. If you have Donovan Mitchell att just attacking the threat of him attacking and putting pressure on the defenses, opens up things for everyone else, and it makes everyone else's job easier. There is no one else, no one else right now on the Jazz's roster that's equipped to carry that no. burden. I love Joe Ingles. I think he can be an underrated pull-up shooter. It's not him. Dante Exum maybe one day, but Donovan Mitchell actually has the threat of a jump shot. And because yeah. he's this off-ball threat too, 
I remember looking this up before a couple pods ago and seeing that Donovan Mitchell was like eighth among high volume shooters in, in points scored per pot, spot up possession. I was actually shocked because I never just thought of him as that nice catch and shoot guy. Just the mere threat of him helps them out so much. And when you're looking ahead specifically to crunch time, that's big. The other thing is he does not in the slightest hamstring your defense. And that's equally important. Because the Jazz yeah. are still good. They're net plus with him on the floor this series, just barely. Their net rating is a plus 0. 0.5. Uh, they're one and one, so that's not surprising. It's just because you can have him on the floor when you want to field your best defensive lineups. To say that about a rookie is just not, Excuse me, a fake rookie. To say that about a fake rookie <laughs> is just nuts. Um, the other thing I just thought of, too, is a lot of it came from Denver fans last night. And I wonder why that is. Are they kidding? Well... They tra- they traded him away, and I think there's like some subconscious or maybe maybe not subconscious uh, jealousy going on there. I mean, they know there Tyler lied and still has time, right? I <laughs> I don't even know who started it, but there was like a Gary Harris or Donovan Mitchell debate, and I love Gary Harris. Um, <laughs> we don't need but, to have that. De- it's just I know it's insane. <laughs> It's insane. This is like when Wolves fans <laughs> used to get bent out of shape every time you brought up Stephen Curry on Twitter. Yeah. Just like, well, Steph, well, Stephen Curry's not better than Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and LeBron James combined. It's just. Oh, man. Playoffs. It'll be. Uh, it's so, crazy to have that kind of player on the Jazz, though. I mean, they haven't had somebody who commanded that kind of media attention, like, maybe since Stockton alone. And meanwhile, I don't we, even think people love Darren Williams and, and Carlos Boozer this much. No. I mean, did anyone ever really love Darren Williams? Well. <laughs> He was kind of beloved for those first couple years in Utah, right? I mean that that went south in a hurry, but there was there was that hot minute when even me would even I uh, would argue that he was better than Chris Paul. But I was a it young. It was man. an actual debate for like a split second, <laughs> but then it all of a sudden wasn't, and that's what cleared it yeah. up. Meanwhile, we're Donovan Mitchell's out here stealing attention away from Jonas Jerebko going five of nine against the Thunder. But that was yeah. really really my segue into, holy crap, what the hell are the Jazz going to do with Derek Favors this summer? That's tough. Um, there was articles written by the, uh, I think it was Tony Jones for the Salt Lake Tribune in like December. And it was basically like from Favors camp, he's, he's out of here. And I, I think everybody had kind of accepted the fact that this was his last season in Utah and... Um, you know, everybody was ready to wish him well and, and best of luck at his next spot. And then that, like, out-of-nowhere turnaround happened in January or started in January. And uh, suddenly the favors go bare. Pairing looks dominant again like it was last season. And, and I think the year before it was fine, too. I think it's a real question now. And I, I think it will come down to whether or not anybody else on the market can give him – like significantly more than he would get from Utah. But I don't what team with cap space needs is gonna a big. Get him like needs a big and I just I can't see him getting more than like what do you think he would max out at this summer? Like twelve million? I would be shocked if he got that. Right now I'm thinking non taxpayer mid level. Mid level point six yeah. million. It'd be different to me if you thought he could prop up a really good defense full time at the five. I believe there's still some questions there. And the other thing is Yes, he's taken more threes, but if he was making those corner three-pointers, it'd be kind of different, and you could talk yourself into him being kind of this floor-spacing maven in training or something. I don't know that that he's there yet. I mean, he shot 39.1% between 16 feet and the three-point line this year, 
where 13.1% of his attempts came. So maybe that's something that that was a career high for him in efficiency. But the teams, the teams that need him don't have cap space. And the teams that have yeah. cap space aren't going to – he's not young enough anymore to be part of a rebuild. He's only 26. He's going to be 27 in July. If you're the Jazz, though – I mean, but the issue for the Jazz, though, is, is even if someone – would you pay him 8.6 and, and call it a day? I lean toward yes because I then would. even if you yeah. want to close games with Jay Crowder, you're still only paying $16 million basically for the two of them. Yeah. And th- that's like whatever. So yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. What, what, how high would you be willing to go though, knowing that the Jazz there are going to be nights like that Oklahoma City game where, where he's just a beast, and you talk yourself into him being better for the team than Jay Crowder is. But just looking for the defensive matchups down the line, if you know that you're going to close or that some of your best statistical crunch time lineups are going to include Jay Crowder instead of him, how much would you be willing to pay Derek Favors to stay in Utah? I think I could get up to the number I threw out earlier. 12, 13 million, maybe. There, I think there were more nights than just last night where he should have been closing, too. And I talked about it on Twitter a few times. Um, I understood why Snyder went to Ingle, or went to Crowder at the four as much as he did, because I it's it's you know obviously a good lineup. Objectively, um, the numbers show that it's been great. But there are nights when they can just bully people, and that's what they did against OKC. And, and OKC even tried to go small and and force Utah's hand and they kept Gobert and Favors out there and they just continued to just bully him all over the floor, which is, I didn't expect to see that ever in this series. I just thought OKC would always have the physical advantage just because Russ is such a forceful player and Steven Adams is, is one of the few guys who can kind of toss Rudy around. Um, but that I, that's a huge momentum shift to me is, is that they, they showed the Thunder that they can sort of sit in there and, and take a couple haymakers and give some back. And I, I even thought they were dead in the water at one point during that game. When OKC went on that 19 to, to zero run, I was like, well, start thinking about next season. But <laughs> this is a surprising team. Like they, they do something surprising every month, it seems like. And maybe this is the next the next wave. Do you know what I was thinking during the end of that Thunder Jazz game? And this was before Steven Adams even got fouled out. Did you? <laughs> Say what you're going to say, and then... I was thinking, man, the Thunder could really use Ennis Cantor right now. Oh, man, yeah. That didn't even cross my mind, but you're right. Derek Favors and destroyed he was... them on the offensive glass at the beginning of that game. After the first quarter, he had five offensive boards. I was just thinking it even before, like way before crunch time, too. It's just, in that situation, I don't know that I'd want... There's... Mello isn't obviously the perfect compliment either, but I don't know that I'd want Ennis Cantor at the money he was making. That's true. The salary was uh, an issue, but there's they clearly lost that trade, right? Melo did not help them. Did the Knicks get any pieces that helped them? They did, they effectively turned Doug McDermott in into Moutier. It was McDermott and Canner. They didn't get a first round. They got oh, a second yeah. round pick. Which... OKC okay, would have been way better with those two, right? McDermott and Canner, maybe. Melo was terrible this year. <sighs> Is it fair to say that they might have been the same just because the idea of mellow shooting threes might have helped them a little bit? Yeah, whereas maybe. You cl- like, and would you have been tempted to just not even play Canner anyway down the stretch? Oh, there, maybe, I'm sure there would have been plenty of those games. So, yeah. that, so then maybe they would have been better. But that that's interesting. What were you going to um, say, though? Well, you mentioned Steven Adams fouling out. Did you see as he walked off the court? Oh, he definitely wanted to go break shit. 
when he was yeah. I was really hoping there would be some report after the game of like what specific items had just been smashed by even Adams. Fire I would not have, like Amari. Yeah. I would not have wanted to get in that guy's way. He was furious. And there were a couple of tough whistles uh, for the Thunder down the stretch in that game. Do you know Certainly who, didn't hurt us. Do you know who's been disappointing, not only this series, but all year? And then my question after this is going to be, I think we both picked Thunder in seven. Has your impression changed there at all? But Patrick Patterson, I thought, was going to be this cheat code for the he, Thunder this year. Yeah, he's he hasn't been, helped a ton either. I'm wondering if he just he hasn't been right since that knee injury. Uh, in Toronto last year, I, I just I, I don't know. He's been disappointed because he, in theory, was someone that you should be able to run out for maybe fifteen or twenty minutes a game as a small ball five and just really uh, imagine Westbrook really surrounded by four shooters, four actual yeah. shooters, one of them not being Josh Hustis or someone like that. That that was just so tantalizing, and he I, he was not he was not good this year. He he I was surprised to even look. The other day, and so that he cleared twelve hundred minutes during the the regular season, and he appeared in all eighty two games too. That was the other thing. I was like, yeah, "Wow, that, this dude, this dude played that much." <laughs> I just pulled up his basketball reference page, and I was shocked when I saw eighty two there. Because you, I mean, nobody even mentioned him all season long. I whiffed uh, on his contract. I called it. It was like one of my top five contracts of the off off season. That was after they got Paul George, right? Yep. I wonder, uh, we've already kind of answered this, but I wonder what this team would have looked like if they would have just stopped after the Paul George trade and just kind of run with the team that they had. The we big, can argue that they lost that one too, though. <laughs> the Paul George, I don't, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't think Oladipo was going to be, he wasn't going to okay. hit this level in OKC. Wait, okay, and now here are you, re- are you ready? And this is going to be interpreted as Russell Westbrook slander, and I don't mean it to be. We caught, I caught shit, Adam Frommel and I, for ranking him 11th among the top 50 NBA players. And you just looked at the names in front of him. I might have been able to move him to 10th. It was some people like, why is Chris Paul in front of him? Well, because Chris Paul is better. But <laughs> he, here's, here's my thing. Is or and Wait, some people wanted Oladipo higher than eleven? No, no, I'm talking about Russell Westbrook. Sorry, my point oh, was. Oh, okay. So if Oklahoma yeah, yeah. City had if yeah. Oklahoma City had stopped, and there there are some people who I'm friendly with on Twitter that we follow each other, and they had a problem with it too. So this isn't just a shot at them. It's people were wondering why is Jimmy Butler in front of Russell Westbrook? I, well, Jimmy Butler is better than Russell Westbrook. <laughs> Joel Embiid, I could have seen. I think he's better, but he's also if you want to go with the experience factor. But I digress there. The thing for me is if you put – if you left Oladipo in OKC, he's probably not the player he is now. And now I'm wondering, could Melo have been better in Portland than he was in OKC? Could Paul George have been better – what were the other teams that were involved? Cleveland, Boston, Denver. Cleveland. He would, have been, he would have been better in Denver. I'm going to say that right now. Him and LeBron would have been nuts in Cleveland, I'm convinced. That too, yeah. Um, and that's not – That's a really interesting question. Westbrook yeah. is just so – he, I don't even know what the word is because I don't want to insult it. He's a fantastic player and just this force of, force of nature, but that force of nature doesn't extend to being a complementary device at any single point because if you stash him off the ball, you're not really you, – you've kind of – now you're on four and five on offense effectively, and that's going way too far. He can be a good cutter sometimes. It'd be If they ran like inverted pick and rolls all the time, he's strong enough to set screens and roll. Uh, but It's just – I, I don't, just as we can say Oladipo wouldn't have had this season at OKC, maybe Melo is better in Portland. Uh, maybe Paul George yeah. is better in Cleveland. 
Do you want to know where Russell Westbrook ranked in my uh, I already average rank thing anyway. I do? 10th. So you guys were pretty close. To I what saw I that. I mean, we were dealing with just playoff guys, but there, if you would have, and if Kawhi was healthy, well, would have been I don't think, I don't think there's anybody ahead of him that missed the playoffs. Oh, okay. Then there you go. That's so fine. you guys, yeah, you guys were, I don't think there's anything wrong with having him 11. And it's not an insult. <laughs> it's just, no, it, you're the 11th best basketball player in the world. I mean, that's, that's a pretty, uh, elite company you find yourself in um has your pick for this series changed at all um i i think it's like the nervous fan in me because i do like the jazz that i i still feel like i still feel like there's going to be two or three force of nature games from russ and maybe one more huge game from paul george and uh playoff p <laughs> worst I could name see, of all time yeah it's so bad um I could see Utah winning, just like I could see him winning before the series started. But I think, I think I'm still sticking with uh, OKC at this point. I'm with you. I still, I'm still OKC in seven. I don't, I didn't feel good about that pick then when we made it. I feel even worse about it yeah, now. If that comes that's to a the good consolation way to, to Utah Jazz fans, um, the so let's see if we can get through this in five minutes. So we can finish up the the futures one, so we can keep these peeps under an hour. The what? What do you make of the Pelicans Blazers series? Uh, you initially picked Portland in seven. I agreed with you, but the argument I made in favor of Portland convinced you to go with New Orleans in seven. So yeah, I like you said, I changed my pick mid podcast, and I'm feeling a lot better about it now. Um, I and it hasn't really gone exactly the way that we sort of forecast, but there's, there's elements of what we talked about. We said that Drew Holiday was more likely to slow Lillard down than anyone on the, the Blazers were likely to slow Davis down. And that's happened like times five. <laughs> Drew, Drew Holiday has, he's just straight up killing Damian Lillard, which I did not see coming. Like I thought he could slow him down, like I just said, but the numbers... I tweeted these out the other day. Just Drew compared to Lillard in this series is pretty staggering. Um, Drew Holiday, 27 points, 5.5 assists, 5 rebounds, 1 steal, 1 block. 58 true shooting, 6.9 box plus minus, uh, 24 PER. Lillard is at 17.5 points, uh, same same assists and rebounds, 1.5 steal, 0 blocks, 40 true shooting. Uh, minus 2.6 box plus minus. Drew Holiday is just, he's killing him. It's, I, I didn't see it coming. It's, it's been really, really uh, wild to see. I, I don't really know how else to put it. It's just been quite the series so far. There's a case to be made that Drew Holiday has been the best player of the series, including AD, who, is, who has been absolutely unreal. And the things Anthony Davis does on defense, just, I mean, forget about some of his finishes on offense. But just the things he does on defense are wild. Drew Holiday was a monster in that game, too. And like you said, he's covering. It's just not even Lillard. He's been on McCollum. They've played him on threes a lot all year this season. I, I'm The Pelicans, I definitely underestimated them. The What I thought I was ahead of the curve on was realizing that Anthony Davis was not alone. And then it just turns out that I'm behind the curve. Because you look at what Rondo has been able to do in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, each one more. Hasn't looked great all the time, but his defensive assignments aren't as tougher. They're just not as tough as they were. Excuse me, so that's made it easier. 
Uh, and uh, Miritich, he's been good at attacking. Uh, some of the Blazers is big. When he finds them in space, he'll back up and then get the full steam and just go. Uh, the, the Pelicans just look like this well-oiled machine. And Drew Holiday's been fantastic. I would change my pick if given the chance, obviously, now. But I've picked Blazers in seven, and there's a ch- there's the possibility that I'm extremely wrong. Not just wrong, but... <laughs> I, th- th- what if they win in five? And the thing I found you interesting... Want to, go ahead. The the Davis, Holiday, Miritich, Moore, Rondo lineup has logged 43 minutes in, in the postseason. Net rating of 35.3. Offensive rating of about 119. Defensive rating of under 84. Okay, it's a small sample size, but in this series against a team like the Blazers, you wouldn't expect both those numbers to be so near perfect. Do you have that lineup's regular season numbers? Um, I could in just, just like five it. seconds. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this series, to say really quick, has made it Demarcus's cousins' future so much more fascinating. And the regular yeah. season numbers on this, I this is this is actually great on that lineup. Davis, Holiday, Miritich, Moore, Rondo only saw two hundred and four minutes together during the regular season. So they've already paid, huh. played about twenty five percent of the regular crazy. season minutes. Their net rating was a plus sixteen point eight. Offensive rating above one fourteen. Defensive huh. rating ninety seven point four. Miritich's last seven games, uh, regular season and playoffs, 23 points, 11 rebounds, four threes, one and a half blocks, over one steal, 54% from the field and 45% from three. <laughs> that combination works, Miritich and Davis. Um, they were a plus 10.7 together through 29 appearances in the regular season. And, and that's like twice as good as the boogie uh, duo, right? Right. And in the postseason, they played 64 minutes together, net rating of 21.3. That's going to, DeMarcus Cousins' contract situation is going to be super interesting. Yeah, for sure. Do All right, you, do we want to jump into the futures? Um, I was going to, there was, what was the other series I wanted to ask you about uh, super quickly? Oh, it was just the... The Cavalier uh, one are I, I just want three words or less. Are the Washington Wizards done? Uh, yes, that's two words because I I did my typical uh beforehand. All right, that works. Uh, <laughs> the qu- follow up question to that is: Should they break up the big three over the summer? And if so, who should be the one to go? My I feel like I have to answer that with a question. And and who do they? I don't even know who they trade. I. It My, seems like I feel like John Wall is the one they probably should trade, but who's going to take that contract? It would have to be a, like Phoenix or maybe the Knicks would just have to be super desperate to get a marquee player. The Phoenix one that you laid out a couple episodes back was that that was interesting to me. Yeah, that was pro- and I think they could even argue that it was an overpay. It was this year's pick, we, Josh Jackson and Filler essentially and maybe who else was in there? Maybe I think Bender was in there for John Wall and I think you could easily argue from their perspective, that they wouldn't want to give up that much for him. I would, would trade— Would you break him up? Yes. Oh, I have a—actually, spoiler alert, I have a column dropping on this for Friday that I went really in-depth in looking at their financial situation. They're going to have more than $90 million committed to those three by 2019-2020 when John Wall's extension kicks in. They need to—he should be the one that they shop, but his contract is so bad, and I also recognize that he is going to take over games in ways that neither Beal nor Porter can. And we kind of saw that in Raptors game two. The second half, he just went off. He was Not only was he attacking switches, but we've talked about how he's playing at 75% speed, and he was still blowing by Toronto's guards, which is no excuse for him not being aggressive sooner. I would trade Beal just because I think Porter is more indispensable to Washington than him, and if you have to keep Wall— 
Beal is the greater redundancy to me. And if you get rid of him, I know you lose that from scratch score, and he's always been hyper efficient. There might be another level to Otto Porter on the offensive end that you just haven't had the ability to explore because you have Beal and Wall. Yeah, that's true. Cap- the last thing before we hop into futures, Cavaliers Pacers, are the Cavaliers making it to the NBA Finals? The Man, question should be, should they even question. make it out of this series? Did you see yeah, that happen on Twitter harder. the other day? I wrote about how the Pacers are built to give the Cavaliers a scare, and some of these Pacers fans like slid into my mentions and said, they're going to sweep them, and, and they were being mostly serious, and it was just like, oh, man. Um, the, the first quarter of yesterday's game, I was like, okay, Cleveland's just going to cruise through the rest of the series. It's probably going to be five games, and we're all going to wonder why did we ever worry about the Cavs, but <laughs> they are prone to lapses like three or four times a game now. I feel like we say this every year, but this team feels different than the other LeBron teams and especially Cavs teams in the last couple of years that we that we always worry about. Um, I feel like the safe answer is probably still Cleveland getting out of the East, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if Toronto beat them. I wouldn't be shocked if the 76ers beat them. Now that Joel Embiid's um, back, yeah, that that's... I don't think Boston can, but I've been wrong about them about 50 times this year. So if they beat if they beat Cleveland without Kyrie Irving and Gordon, oh, Hayward, that would be insane. LeBron should just sign in Boston at that point and reunite <laughs> yeah. with Irving. I think yeah. I think the Cavs are still going to come out, but I'm very. We might get. They might have to go through now both the Raptors and the Sixers to get there, which just feels untenable. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. It's going to be tough. I still think they'll get there, though. I'm, I'm with you. I definitely don't feel good about it because you're going to have LeBron go for almost 50 and still only win by three after you held a – I think they let yeah. him as many as 18 and 15 after the first, but yes. You know what that means. We're back into uh, the future power rankings. We're going to wrap it up with our top three. Did you want to remind our dear, dear listeners of your, your top 11? Such a weird place to start, but our schedules were all over the place last week. Um, I had the Pistons last at 14th. Then the Hornets, the Clippers, the Magic, Kings, Nets, Grizzlies, Bulls, Hawks, Mavericks, and much to Dan's surprise, I had the Knicks fourth. Yeah, I'm still, I don't know if I'm just not over that or just just mad about that still. Um, It would help if I had mine up, and here they are. My last place team was the Number 14, Charlotte Hornets. Number 13, Memphis Grizzlies. Number 12, Orlando Magic. Number 11, Detroit Pistons. Number 10, Los Angeles Clippers. Number 9, Brooklyn Nets. Number 8, Sacramento Kings. Number 7, New York Knicks. Distant to what Andy had them. Number 6, Chicago Bulls. Number 5, Atlanta Hawks. Number 4, Dallas Mavericks. It does work out that we have the final three teams left that were the same. So that not the order, yeah. but just having the three teams. So who do you have? That as- was Kismet. Who's your, who, who's your third team, number three? I have the Suns here. Um, and it's it's basically a testament to Devin Booker that they're here. I, I mean, I've, I've criticized <laughs> Booker and, and pointed out his advanced stats plenty um, in the first couple years, but they started to come around to him this season. I think – he missed a lot of games, not just because of injury, but they were they were very much a part of the great tank race of 2018. I, I think he absolutely has a chance to be one of the top, I don't know, he has a chance to be a top five win. Um, 
and and one star player is you know you have to start somewhere when you're starting over and that's that's where the suns are right now i don't know if there's anybody else in that core that like really lights a fire under me i i like tj warren i don't think he's more than like i don't know the fifth best player on a really good team fourth best maybe um I went to bat for Alfred Payton on this show earlier in the season, but I, I mean, I also don't think he's a star. They, they have interesting guys who I think could be role players on a good team, but they do have a guy who's, if not a star already, he certainly has star potential in Devin Booker. It bodes really well for them, one, that they're going to have the top lottery odds in this year's draft. It helps even more that they have the Heat's pick this year. They have the Heat's pick yeah. in 2021. Josh Jackson played really, really well to end the season. If you look at what he was able to do over his last 28 games of the year, he averaged 18.4 points, 6 rebounds, 2.2 assists, 1.4 steals, and 0.7 blocks. Still needs to learn, really, how to shoot the three ball. That would be huge for him. And if you ever want to play him at the four, he's going to need to get stronger there because he can be – it's not even big, so he can just be overpowered by more explosive ball handlers – I've warmed up to Devin Booker, and I, I never called him. I don't think I ever called him a crappy NBA player, and if I did, I deserve to be lampooned for it. But <laughs> his his offense is just it, he's more efficient than I thought he'd be. His his efficiency has improved in each of his seasons, while his usage rate has gone up. And I I found this stat uh, toward the end of, of the year for him was only two other players have ever cleared a usage rate of 30 while posting an assist percentage better than 24 and a true shooting percentage better than 56 before their fourth season. So this is basically his benchmarks have only ever been met uh, twice by, or excuse me, by two other players before their fourth season in NBA history, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. And LeBron James did it twice because freaking LeBron James. But, yeah. Oh no, Dwayne Wade did it twice. It was LeBron who only did it once. And Devin Booker's the third. That's, they have a foundation there. They're going to have a bunch of cap space this summer. They can sleepwalk their way to $20-plus million in room. They have to figure out how to use it. If they want to get in on some trade sweepstakes, I don't think anyone aside from Devin Booker on their roster should be deemed indispensable. That includes Josh Jackson, and they would certainly give up Bender or Chris at this point. And they're going to have some nice salary fodder. Just looking at Chandler's expiring and Jared Dudley's going to be expiring, you're not going to get anyone to swallow Brandon Knight, I don't think, without a— pretty hefty sweetener or taking back some bad money, but they have a clear path to getting a lot better. I am interested, however, to see what they do with all these resources. Booker came out and said, this is the last year that he doesn't want to make the playoffs. And is that, and the team has said, McDonough has said that they're going to be aggressive this off season. Are they going to be compelled to make some short sighted moves? I get it because you've already paid Warren Booker's extension eligible this summer, but there, there's danger in, in trying to accelerate this too quickly. All right. That brings us to my number two, which is the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm not sure I would have had them here before the season started, but they really impressed me, especially in the second half of the year. Julius Randle is a much better player than I thought he was at the beginning of the season. Brandon Ingram made some huge strides. I I was especially high on that little stretch where he, he was just straight up playing point guard with Lonzo Ball out, and he was averaging like, I should have pulled up the numbers before, but it was like 17 points and five assists as their starting point guard, which is just amazing numbers, especially for how young he is. Lonzo Ball, you know, shooting aside was incredible. He did literally everything. The the fact that he was still 
a positive player while shooting under 40% from the field is, is super impressive. If he ever even gets like close to average shooting, he's going to be fantastic. They have, they have so many interesting young guys now that I've reached a point where I think even if they don't get LeBron or, or any of the max free agents this summer, Lakers fans should still be very, very excited uh, about this team. I think they can develop into something pretty, you know, legitimately scary within the next three or four years if they just keep going down this path that they're on right now. I also have the Lakers at number two, and I don't know if you would call it a last-minute swap, but I did this exercise or something similar to it for Bleacher Report about a month or two ago. I had the Lakers at number one originally, but spoiler alert, then Jamal Murray just kind of happened, and it was just <laughs> uh, from there just sold. I agree with everything you said, and they don't necessarily need to hit home runs in free agency anymore. Uh, I was impressed with, I mean, you know I've been a Brandon Ingram homer basically or Stan for a while. I was impressed with what he was able to do um, essentially since the start of of January or even just over his last 25 games of the season. Uh, 16 points, 5.3 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 0.6 steals, 0.7 blocks. 51% 51% shooting overall, shot 47.1% during that time from the three-point line on two attempts per game. Low volume, but to be a relative threat from there. Free throw shooting under 70%, that still calls for pause, but he just looks still comfortable with the ball in his hands, and you can see him being a switchier defender than Kyle Kuzma and just a better playmaker than Kyle Kuzma too. I know that was just kind of a thing for a little bit that a lot of people thought Kyle Kuzma could be the be- better pro He's just he's older already and came in polished, but he was great. He was a fantastic scorer yeah. for a lot of the season in ISO. Josh Hart, you know, I have a soft spot for him. Lonzo Ball's defense better than expected. I'm very interested to see what they do this summer. They can get if they really want to to two max slots while keeping Julius Randle. They'll have to sweeten the hell out of the Luel Dang trade, but they can get there. And if you're a free agent and the Lakers are saying, "Hey, we can have Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball." Kyle Kuzma waiting for you, or maybe it's you have to get rid of Josh Hart or in the dang trade, or maybe it's Kyle Kuzma. If you can say they'll have three or four of those five guys there waiting for you, that's going to be tough to pass up, and that's kind of a feather under their cap as well. I, but what are they going to do if they whiff on free agents? Are they just going to lean all into a trade for the next disgruntled superstar? Is that Kawhi Leonard? Should they even look at doing something like that if they don't know they have another guy like George or LeBron James on the way already in tow? They have some interesting questions that they need to ask, but the fact that we can sit here and say they don't need to hit home runs in free agency is an absurdly big deal for them. Yeah, I mean, they're they're a lot further along than I thought they would be. All right, let's go to number one. Um, and I actually, so it's, you know, obviously the Nuggets are the only team left for both of us. Before we started recording today, I added up wins over replacement player from players age 23 or younger on every team in the league. Denver wasn't just first among lottery teams. They led the entire NBA. Um they had 22.4 wins over replacement players from, from guys who were 23 or younger. The second-best lottery team was the Lakers with 12.4. Oh. Um, second-best team overall was the 76ers with 21.6, and they're obviously in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> this is a team that should have been in the playoffs, but the fact that they're three best players, and there's maybe a debate there because Paul Millsap is still really good, but I – 
at least their three best players going forward, uh, Jokic, Murray, and Harris, are they could be one of the better trios in the league for a while. I mean, they are just – and they, they fit each other so well, too. I love that they can basically play – Harris and Murray can both basically play shooting guard and just run around the floor and wait for, for Jokic to find them. Uh, I, I think that's just like the perfect situation for them to be with <laughs> – I mean, it's a perfect situation for any guard to be with one of the, the greatest passing bigs of all time. Um, but I, I love this team's future if they can just keep those three guys and – um, this is a deep draft. I'm not sure they can get another great player in the middle of the lottery, but we're teams are doing better at finding value like in the middle and, and towards the end of the draft, it feels like. So maybe they can add a small forward to this core. It, but I, this is my long-winded way of saying it. It comes down to those three, and they are very, very good. They're the clear number one choice for me now. Again, I picked the Lakers a month and a half ago or whatever it was. I'm just... I do wonder where they go from here because Paul Millsap getting older, only technically under contract for two more years, the third of which is a team option. Will Barton's a free agent this year, and he has said, he told Chris Haynes of ESPN.com he wants to start. The lineup, the would-be starting lineup of Harris, Barton, Jokic, Millsap, and Murray played 13 games together this year, net rating of 32.7. And offensive rating of almost 125 with a defensive rating of 92. Will Barton is better defensively than people give him credit for. He can defend point guards through false small forwards, essentially. And he's, again, not all NBA level, but just passable. I just don't know how much are you willing to invest in that. Can you sell him on a ceremonial starter role or someone on a ceremonial starter role to say, hey, then you have to go lead the second unit? Because they have nobody to do that. Wilson Chandler, if he picks up his player option, which that's interesting. I don't I don't know whether he should pick it up or if he will pick it up. Uh, I think it's worth – he won't match or necessarily even come close to matching the annual salary, but $12.8 million, is it worth it for him to opt out and go for something longer? That'll be something to watch, but he can't lead the second unit. Bringing back Devin Harris is kind of lukewarm there. And who do you use as the quick hook? Is it Will Barton? Is he going to be okay with that? Then maybe that's fine. Or is it going to be a situation where you're looking for Gary Harris to do it? I know Harris was injured towards the end of the year, but there was the playing game against the Timberwolves. They had – it was Barton closed the game, right? Uh, they they yeah. didn't even go offense-defense. It wasn't Harris. And he's been banged up, so there's that to consider as well. But they need more wings overall, and they probably need – if they want to keep Will Barton, they need another playmaker. That or they have to pay Will Barton enough to not give a flying crap whether he's starting or not. Yeah, this will be a very interesting summer for them too. Are they gonna Are they gonna max Jokic out this summer too? It's tempting for them to not, just because you work with that cap hold. You could they have a path to cap space this summer because the deals that we know they're gonna have on their books, Kenneth Reed expiring, Arthur's gonna pick up his player option. If Wilson Chandler picks up his player option, those are contracts you can move with some degrees of sweeteners when you're looking at Arthur and Fareed because they're expiring. You could probably even move Mason Plumley if you really tried at this point. But you look at 2019 when you have, if Chandler, let's say he opts in or you don't resign him, he'll be off the books by then. Arthur and Fareed will have organically come off the books. Murray is, uh, Gary Harris' extension will have kicked in by that point. He'll be going into a second season, but Murray will still be on his rookie scale salary. You can do some things with that $1.6 million cap hold. 
of Jokic's. And maybe they've built up enough goodwill with him to say, hey, we're going to take care of you, but we have a chance to make some real noise in 2019. They also could be looking at it. We have a team option on Paul Millsap in 2019. We can get to cap space if we really try anyway. If there's if there's not enough goodwill there, they absolutely need to max out Jokic because he's worth it, just offensively. And his defense is just a little bit better than people realize because he's a good defensive rebounder. And as Ben Falk over at Cleveland Glass pointed out, is he does do some nice things deterring looks at the rim. He, he's worth it. We can get into the battle about how some people don't think he's a top 25 player. Uh, that's just it's, – it's an insane battle there. He's going to be that divisive talent for a while. But I, I think you max him out. Without question. However, if I'm Denver, knowing where I'm going to be drafting these next few years and knowing the opportunity that I'm going to have next summer, I'm putting feelers out to take the, I'll call it the Andre Drummond approach, even though it's just a little bit different. Like, hey, you know you're going to get paid, and the situation is different because Jokic will be an unrestricted free agent if they wait it out, whereas you decline his team option, he's restricted, which makes it inherently easier to keep. Do you think that's too risky, though? I don't don't know enough about... Like you said, it, it depends on how much goodwill there is between him and the organization. It seems like he's happy there. Um, Mike Malone did so go to the, Serbia last year, but Mike Malone's job status might not be the booming example well, of stability. Yeah. And they, they already came out and said that he's coming back next year. I, some of the stuff he did was weird, but I mean, he they have been pretty good offensively for – not pretty good. They've been great offensively for, for long stretches. Um, you know where Nikola Jokic came in on that – where where did you guys rank him in the Bleacher Report one? We didn't because he did not make the playoffs. Oh, good call. Would you like um, to know where he would have been though? He's fifth on this average rankings thing. Okay, well we which didn't... is just crazy, and that'll blow like that would that will send some high test Twitter people off the rails. We so. had him at thirteen between would be thirteen. It would have or it would have been twelve. He would have been sandwiched right between Russell Westbrook and Paul George had the Nuggets made the playoffs. I wonder if he wasn't like so out of shape and just sort of plodding around the floor and all let's say somebody had never actually watched him play and just saw the fact that there was a guy who averaged 19 points, 11 rebounds and six assists. He he would have a different opinion of that guy, right? Just the raw numbers are insane. Yeah, if you like if you just removed the faces or the the body types from the equation, 100% uh, his his advanced numbers are just ridiculous. They're every they're like catch-all metric level. is yeah. yeah is is loves him. I would max him out this summer if push came to shove. Um, and I'm not you. You have to be confident in your relationship with him to even broach the subject. I think at this point because crazy things can happen with injuries or anything like that. But they do have an opportunity to really make. They can do it this summer, but it's going to cost them assets. But they have a real opportunity to go spending in 2019. And as, as they saw with Paul Millsap, I know the, the the market was a little bit different, and 2019 should be more competitive than 2017 was, but they, they can get some guys. You, I just, I don't, if I were them, I would try to go that route, but I would, if the question is, isn't Nikola Jokic worth the max contract now, my answer would be unequivocally yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, that, we, I think we covered everything we anticipated covering for this episode, so... A buck ten. That's that's close enough for us. That's, that's great bad. for us. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, as always, we we really do sincerely appreciate all of you listeners. We appreciate all the reviews that we get and all the ratings. It's uh, <laughs> we beg for them every episode, and then it it really is nice to see them uh, as you guys give them to us. And I'm gonna beg again. 
if you haven't <laughs> rated and reviewed the podcast, go ahead and do that. If you have, thanks again and, and coerce some people you know into doing it. They will enjoy the podcast uh, if they're your friend. If, if they don't, then you might need to rethink your, your friend circle. Um, there's still the promo code at the nbamath.com slash shop. If you enter Benno, B-E-N-O, you can get 15% off any item there. If you want to find Dan Favalli on Twitter, he's at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is NBA underscore math. Uh, and as always, we leave you with a shout out to Bino Udry. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.